I'd like to speak for a, a little bit this morning on Philippians 4. So when Graham sent out the message yesterday, I had a little read through what he had uh, sent. And uh, I noticed at the end of it that he mentioned this text and I thought that uh, it would be appropriate to speak on it today. So Philippians 4, and we'll read from verse 4. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything. But in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. So just those few verses, verses 4 through 7. And uh, before we look at them, let's pray together. Lord, thank you for the opportunity to gather together and uh, study your word and Thank you for the comfort that we can draw from it and we pray today that as we ponder this little text in the New Testament that you might encourage us and we pray for those who are uh, concerned about their health and about the threat of this virus and we pray that you'll give them your peace in their hearts because ultimately Lord they're in your hand. And uh, we thank you that you're uh, committed to them as a father is committed to his children. And uh, we pray, Lord, that that will be great comfort to them today. And we ask, Lord, as we talked earlier, some of us, we ask, Lord, that you might use this uh, virus and the threat to people's health to really speak to people about the prospect of standing before you about their relationship with you about their need to be right with you and we pray Lord that even in this uh, community of Moodyspern that you might be at work and we pray Lord that through this you'll draw many to yourself and many to your son and we pray for your help now as we think about your word we pray that you'll help all of us Lord, we often pray as we place ourselves under its authority, but it's more than that. This is communication from heaven for us, a letter from our Father. And we pray, Lord, that we might not just view the Bible as authoritarian, but as a book that is relational and one through whom our Father speaks to us and makes his will known to us. So we pray for your help today and we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. In the early part of last century, um, an artist painted a, a picture of a chess game. The two players in the painting were the devil and a young man who was uh, playing against the devil and they were playing for the young man's soul. So if the young man won... He would be free from the devil's taunts and torments forever. But if the devil uh, won, then uh, the young man would become his servant forever. 
The artist uh, was himself a chess player and had painted the pieces on the chessboard in such a way that the devil had made the last move and it was checkmate. The young man was pale in complexion and fear. You can see a picture of this on Google if you're really interested. The young man was pale in complexion and uh, fear was written all over his face. And for years that picture hung in an art gallery. And chess players from all over the world would come and study the configuration of the pieces on the chessboard. Um, And each of them would walk away uh, feeling that the devil had outplayed the young man and that really it was uh, really the end game for him. However, one day a very famous chess player stood in front of the painting and he studied it for quite a while and in his mind and with the use of his hands he was eliminating one move after another. And to the amazement of everybody in the gallery, the old man had worked out a sequence of moves which would would defeat the devil. And he became so caught up with the game in the painting and the dilemma of the young man that he suddenly shouted out in the middle of the art gallery, Young man, make that move! And that's exactly, I think, what Paul does in these verses. He looks over the people of God and he sees that they have been tormented and taunted by the devil, the enemy of their souls. He sees them crippled in their spiritual growth through fear and anxiety about what the future will hold and what tomorrow will hold. And here he shows them a sequence of moves that will help them to outplay the devil and conquer their fears. And he gives them some infallible advice and us infallible advice on how to cope with life in a fallen world. Well, there are three things um, that I want to pick up on. I want you to think about the problem that, that he describes, the apostle describes the prescription uh, which he uh, issues, and then finally the, the, the peace uh, which, which he discusses at, at the end of the text. So uh, let's look at verses 6 and 7 of Philippians chapter 4 and uh, think about it under those three headings. So first of all, the problems that he uh, describes. So he talks first of all about the struggles that we face. He says, do not be anxious about anything. The truth is we run the risk of being anxious about everything. Uh, People are distraught the world over with the problems that they face in their daily lives. And for some, life at every turn seems to be checkered. It seems that no matter which way they turn, there are problems. And they feel weighed down, burdened by the things that they face. They're worried about how the future will unfold. How they will cope with the events of the future. They wonder how they will ever survive. Some are less concerned about the future and more concerned with the present and its circumstances. They've got difficulties at work, difficult people, cantankerous people at work making their lives miserable. And there is nothing really as demoralizing as having to deal with a difficult, difficult person in an ongoing way. Some have difficulties in their family, uh, children who are going in any way but the right way. 
partners who really couldn't care less and have become difficult. Some folks are struggling with difficulties in their health, cancer, depression, heart trouble. And the Philippians, of course, were no ex- exception just because they lived in, their, in the first century did not mean to say that they were exempt from the difficulties that you and I are familiar with. They had difficulties with their neighbors and with the authorities. This is the city where Paul and Silas had been beaten, remember, and thrown into uh, prison, into the inner cell of the prison. Um, in chapter 1 of this little letter to the Philippians, verses 28 to 30, makes it clear that they were facing opposition. And Paul endeavored to try and put them at ease about the opposition and uh, the contention that they were facing with their neighbors and within society. There were difficulties in this church. Two ladies in this church had fallen out, Judea and Syntyche had fallen out, and it seems that the church was lining up behind their favorite lady, and there were real struggles, there were broken relationships in this church, and if you've ever been part of a church where there are really broken relationships, it's not a pleasant environment to worship in, and it's not really a pleasant fellowship to belong to, and this is a church that has broken relationships uh, in it. Some of them no doubt had difficulties in their personal lives, difficulties with their health, and there were no hospitals much to go to. There were a few doctors here and there, but they had limited resources and limited knowledge, and so if you had difficulties with your health, uh, then the possibility would be that it might be uh, the end of the road. Difficulties in their marriages, no different from us. Difficulties with their children. People in this church, it seems, were just stressed out. And this, of course, scratches where it itches, doesn't it, for us? Isn't it true to say that so often we find ourselves facing struggles such as these and we find ourselves uptight with worry and with anxiety and we take our eyes off the promises of God. We allow ourselves to be consumed only with the difficulties that we face. I think this is something that all of us battle with. All of us at some point or or other in our lives have been guilty of doing the very thing that Paul says in this passage we shouldn't do. We've allowed ourselves to be worried and anxious beyond measure. So that's a little bit about the problems that they they were facing, the struggles that they were facing and a little bit about the response to the problems that he tells them they should avoid. So he says don't be anxious. Uh, He says don't be anxious about anything. Anxiety is, is, is where you find yourself fretting and worrying about something. And this is a road, according to Paul, that Christians should not go down. This road of anxiety and worry and inner torment. Don't allow yourself, he says, to fret with worry. Don't allow the devil to concentrate your mind on nothing but the difficulties. And we need to remember that there are other things that need to come into the picture. There are other things that need to come into focus. I don't know if you've ever been in... uh 
in a, in, in a kind of a, a watchtower room so I once did a, a course in Edinburgh and they took us into the city chamber and down into the CCTV area where they're watching like just a hundred different screens and, and all around the city they can see what's happening here and there and, and so what's happening here they have a bit of an idea of and also over here and also over there and uh, sometimes we're our minds are a bit like that only the problem is we focus not so much on the big picture of what's happening all around the place we just focus on one aspect of the picture sometimes we are uh, prone to forget the things that we should uh, remember and we lose sight of the bigger picture so we focus on the difficulties the camera can zoom in just on the difficulties and we forget don't we that we have a God for whom nothing is impossible we forget that we have a father who is absolutely committed to us as a father is committed to his children we forget that we have a God who assures us that he knows what we need before we even ask him before we even ask him he knows what we need and has already sent the answer to our prayer We have a God who loves us with an everlasting love. A God who promises that he will work everything together for our good. And often in the journey of life we focus on one thing. The difficulty and we forget about all of the other things that the cameras of our mind should be focusing on. Well, some of us might be tempted to say, well, it's fine for Paul to say, don't be anxious about anything. If he was in my shoes, uh, he might be a little bit more anxious than he appears to be in this passage. Well, I just want to say, Paul isn't writing from an ivory tower. He's in a prison cell as he writes this uh, letter to the Philippians. He's in chains for the gospel in Rome. He's waiting for his case to be heard before Caesar. And he doesn't really know how the whole thing is going to play out. He may be sentenced to death. And in all of this uncertainty in his own circumstances, he says to the Philippians, don't be anxious about anything. I'm not allowing myself to be destroyed with worry about how my case will end. I'm keeping focused on the bigger picture. You say, well, what's the bigger picture? What else is there to focus on other than the fact that you're about to lose your head if your trial goes wrong before Caesar? Well, says Paul, through the other cameras in my mind, I can see that God loves me, no matter what Caesar thinks of me. I can see that God has promised to work everything out for my ultimate good. I can see that God will allow me to face, will not allow me to face anything that he cannot sustain me through or in. So as well as looking at the trial that I'm facing before Caesar, I'm forcing my mind to focus on some of these other things that need to be brought into the picture. So follow my example, says Paul. Don't allow yourself to be anxious, uptight about the difficulties you're facing. Instead, cast your care on him, as Peter says. And know that he cares for you. Leave your worries with the Lord. Let the Lord take care of them. Because that's really what Paul is doing as he finds himself in prison. He's just bringing his concerns and cares to the Lord and saying, Lord, I haven't got the solution to this. And I can't work this out. I'm in prison. I, I don't have a trump card in my back pocket that I can pull out now to get me out of this mess. All I can do is just leave it with you, Lord. 
and know that you're, you've promised that you'll work everything together for my good and I'm going to leave my struggles with you. And Paul is inviting us, asking us to follow his example and to do just the same thing. So that's the first thing, the difficulties that he describes. The second thing is the prescription that he writes then. So Paul doesn't just leave it there. He doesn't just say, you know, come on now, don't be anxious. Uh, stop worrying he actually writes a prescription here's what you should take here's the medicine that you should take he says in everything by prayer and supplication or by prayer and petition and with thanksgiving make your requests known to God so there's uh, action and then there's an application the action is very simple they are to pray four words are used to describe prayer in verse 6 and uh, we're going to pick up on three of them two of them amount to the same thing so let's look at two of the, or three of them first of all he uses the word prayer he says in every situation by prayer Make your requests known to God by prayer. The word prayer simply means talking to God. All kinds of sophisticated definitions of prayer. But in essence it means talking to God. Um, This is Paul to the Philippians. Don't try and get by on your own. Talk to God about the things that you're struggling with. You have a listening ear wherever you want, whenever you want it. When people in the world get stressed they need to make an appointment to go and see a counsellor and the chances are that that appointment will come in three weeks maybe four weeks maybe six weeks who knows when the appointment will come through but we have one that we can go and talk to at any moment of any day no matter what kind of circumstances we are in and says Paul don't carry it around with you refusing to share it with anyone talk to God about it When you lie awake at night, don't count the sheep. Talk to the shepherd. That's in essence what Paul is saying. Prayer is really breathtaking, isn't it? The all-knowing, the all-seeing, the all-powerful, gloriously holy God of heaven says, Come and talk to me. Talk to me about your concerns surrounding the coronavirus. And we've been deluded by the devil into thinking that prayer is a chore. That it's something, you know, that's a real battle. We can talk to our friends about the difficulties we face. And we can talk to our partners in life about the struggles that we have to deal with. And all the while the sovereign of the universe, the one who can actually do something about it says, Come and talk to me. Offload it onto me. Share it with me. Pray, and Paul says, in in everything, by prayer, he says, uh, make your requests known unto God. The second word that he uses is the word supplication, or a little later in the verse it's referred to as make your requests. And it's the same, uh, the two words carry the same kind of meaning. You see, God not only invites us to talk to him, God invites us to ask him for things. He says, ask and it will be given to you. Seek, he says, and you'll find. He says, knock and the door of heaven will be opened to you. The resources of heaven will be made available to you. That's the context of that statement. Knock, he says, and the door of heaven, heaven with all of its resources, will open its door to you. And you'll have access to heaven's resources. Jesus' half-brother James says, you have not because you ask not. 
And more often than not, we don't have because we don't ask. And God says, just ask me for things. Talk to me and ask me for things. Are we asking God for things? God wants us to ask so that he can be glorified in giving. So don't ask simply because we want our needs met. We we ask because it glorifies God to provide for our needs as our Father. And he wants us to ask. And he says, in everything. That's the statement. In everything. Not just in some things. Not just when your back is against the wall and you have no other options. But he says, in everything, make your requests known unto God. So if, if it means everything, it means nothing is too small. Nothing is too small. You lose the keys of the car. The last thing that we think about doing is asking the Lord to help us find them. But why? If in everything, nothing is too small. We need a parking space. Why not ask God to help us find a parking space? In everything, he says, make your requests known unto God. Nothing is too small, nothing is too big. In everything, if if everything means everything, then nothing is beyond its scope. If it's God's will for us to have it, he will be able to provide it. Nothing is beyond his power. Just ask him. And then the last thing he says, with thanksgiving. That's the third word I want to pick up on in regard to prayer. He says, with thanksgiving. Nothing is worse than the person who has a kind of a give me, give me, give me, give me attitude. Can I have, can I have, can I have? And never express any gratitude, no thankfulness, ever. But thankfulness is important. It's important because God deserves to be thanked for his kindness. And we ought to give thanks to God in anticipation for his great grace and mercy towards us. But it has another dividend, giving thanks to the Lord. Because as we start to thank God, we'll remind ourselves of the blessings, the many, many blessings that God has already given to us. So if we make our requests with thanksgiving, we'll begin to remind ourselves of the kind of God that we're coming to. One who's been faithful in the past. One who's been generous in the past. One who has given and given and given again in the past. And as we give thanks to God, we'll remind ourselves of this God that we're coming to ask for things from. So when you pray, he says, be thankful. Don't just ask. He says, be thankful. So that's the action. What then about the application? Well, God has chosen to work through prayer. He could have chosen to work in some other way. But his sovereign will is carried out on earth in response to the prayers of his people. God's will will undoubtedly be done. And if God's will will be done and God's will will be carried out in response to the prayers of his people, God will see to it that prayer reaches his throne. And if we don't pray, God will raise up others to pray and pass us by. But let's not have God pass us by. Let's be the kind of people that acknowledge that we need God's help in everything. And let's pray. Let's pray as we journey through our day. 
Let's pray as we journey through life. Let's pray as as a church. Let's never entertain the notion that we can do ministry by ourselves, that we can make an impact on the lives of the people out there without God's help and without God's assistance. We can't. We need God's help. So let's put this into practice. Let's pray about our personal lives. Let's pray about our church lives. Let's pray about our family lives. Let's ask God to intervene in the lives of those that we care about. God can do much more than we think. And earlier I said to you, um, you know, God knows what we need before we even ask him. And often has already sent the answer to prayer before we even ask for the thing. Helen Roosevelt was a missionary in the Congo. And uh, she tells the story of a mother who died at her mission station giving birth to a premature baby. And there was already one daughter. The, the, the lady already had one daughter and, the, and, and, they were, and this little uh, premature baby now and then she died giving birth to it and she said we tried to improvise uh, an incubator to keep the infant alive but the only hot water bottle that we had was beyond repair so she says we gathered the children together children in this little orphanage that she was running uh, to pray for the baby and for her sister And one of the little girl students said, Dear God, please send a hot water bottle today, because tomorrow will be too late. And Lord, send a doll for the sister, because she won't feel, so that she won't feel so lonely. A little girl in in a hospital, an orphan girl praying that prayer, send a water bottle today, because tomorrow will be too late. And send a little doll for the older sister so that she won't be too lonely having lost her mum. That afternoon a package arrived from England which had been posted months earlier, months earlier. And the little girl rummaged around and... Uh, in, in, uh, in, in, in this box of, that had been sent from uh, England and, and said uh, as they dug into it they found a hot water bottle which had been sent months earlier and they were able to improvise an incubator and the little baby survived and the little girl who found the hot water bottle says well if God sent a hot water bottle I'm sure he also sent a doll and she rummaged in the box and she found a doll and she gave it to the older sister God can do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ever imagined possible. And prayer is a huge privilege, isn't it? To be able just to talk to God. To bring our requests to Him. And to thank Him for the many things that He has already given us. And the final thing then is the peace that He promises. So, two things about this peace. He says, the peace of God which passes all uh, human understanding will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Two things about this peace. First of all, the nature of this peace. What exactly is this peace that Paul is talking about? Well, the Greek word for peace which is used in this uh, passage is the equivalent of the Old Testament word that we are, we're all familiar with, shalom. You go to Israel and people will greet you and say shalom, shalom. And it's not that they're wishing you the absence of war. 
It's a word which carries a sense of wholeness. They're, they're wishing you well-being and wholeness and completeness. And that's what Paul says will be the experience of these Philippians. They'll experience the shalom or the peace of God. If I were to define this peace, I would say it is a deep-seated serenity. And a strength that springs from the, from the soul's confidence in God's ability to sustain it no matter what the circumstances might be. And that is why it's called a peace that passes all human understanding. It can't be explained in, by, in human terms. I mean, if you're faced with all kinds of difficulties, how can you still remain calm and confident that God will give the grace that's necessary? It's beyond human explanation. I remember being at a funeral service many, many years ago. In fact, I was just out of uh, my first Bible college and working as an evangelist with the Faith Mission at that stage and went to a funeral of a lady who had died of cancer. And, and the minister was giving the eulogy or uh, sharing about the lady's life. And he talked about her struggle with cancer over the last couple of years. And he said something that I've never forgotten. He said... The one thing that characterized her life was a sense of peace. sense of peace that her life was in God's hands. That God would give her the grace to make her way through this if God had brought her to this. That's the peace I think that Paul is talking about. He's talking about this sense of wholeness and completeness and absolute confidence in God. It's the kind of peace that Spafford, uh, Horatius Spafford enjoyed as he wrote that hymn, When peace like a river attendeth my way, or sorrows like sea billows roll. Whatever my lot you've taught me to say, it is well, it is well with my soul. And he wrote that in the aftermath of the drowning of his four daughters on a ship from the States to, uh, uh, to Europe. And he got a telegram from his wife, saved alone, what should I do now? Saved alone, what should I do now? And, and on his journey to be with his wife, he wrote the words of that song. <coughs> don't worry, I don't have the coronavirus. I've had a cough since about November. This is the kind of peace that God wants us to experience. And, and uh, so finally then, just the need for this peace. When Paul talks about peace guarding their hearts and minds, he knew that it was something that the Philippians would have been familiar with. This idea of a guard being posted to guard something. Philippi was a Roman colony. It was... Uh, protected by a garrison of Roman soldiers. They stood at lookout posts, ever ready to ward off the enemy. If the city of Philippi could be uh, sacked, then it would be the fall of a significant Roman city, or a, a significant city in the Roman Empire, if Philippi could be sacked. And so it was guarded by a garrison of soldiers. And our hearts and minds are a bit like Philippi, they need to be guarded. If, if we're not bringing everything to God in prayer, then we won't experience His peace. Because we'll not have the assurance that we've brought it to the Lord. We'll not have the comfort of knowing that we've asked God for His help and His strength, whatever we are facing. 
It's as we make our requests to God, as we talk to God, that this peace comes. And it comes from knowing that we've left it with God, we've brought it to God, we've asked God to intervene. And that in itself brings a sense of peace. And this peace is like a soldier garrisoning our minds and ensuring that our minds are not being attacked by the taunts and torments of the enemy. Fear and worry wreak havoc in our hearts, don't they? The English word worry comes from the German, German word Virgen, which carries a sense of strangle or choking something. And that's what anxiety does, it strangles us. Problems become insurmountable in our mind as we focus on them. And we begin to reach a point where we're unable to function properly. And uh, we're driven to a point of absolute distraction. Our minds are the control rooms of our lives. And what goes on in our minds will determine what goes on everywhere else in our bodies. And our minds need to be guarded. Our hearts need need to be guarded. And Paul says, if you make your requests known to God in everything, in everything, then the peace of God will guard your heart and mind from anxiety and from its attacks. It will stand like a soldier, the peace of God, warding off the enemy of fear. If you bring all your requests to God and seek Him and ask Him to intervene and leave them with Him, then you'll experience God's peace. So, prayer is such a tremendous thing, isn't it? That I am here and uh, I can talk to the God of the universe just in an instant, uh, without any appointment. As I journey through life, as I face all kinds of difficulties, I can just talk to God and He listens to me. And I can make my requests known to Him. The hymn writer put it so well when he said, What a friend we have in Jesus. All our sins and griefs to bear. What a privilege to carry everything to God in prayer. Oh, what peace we often forfeit. And oh, what needless pain we bear. All because we do not carry everything to God in prayer. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for this little text that's tucked away in the New Testament. And we thank you for its instruction. And we realize, uh, Lord, its relevance at this point in history with people full of all kinds of anxieties. We pray that you'll help us to apply this medicine to our hearts. We pray, Lord, that this prescription that we've received this morning uh, won't just, as it were, lie on the countertop, but that we'll cash it in, that we'll uh, take the medicine that we've been prescribed and help us, Lord, to talk to you and to ask you for things. Thank you that you're ever ready to listen to us and that you're deeply interested in all of our lives. And thank you, Lord, that you're more committed to us than anyone else on the planet. You're our Father and you love us with a love which is unchanging and eternal. So, Lord, help us, we pray, to do this. And we pray that we might experience more of your peace. 
knowing that we've brought our concerns to the one who can actually do something about them. Help us as we sing our final praise, and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.